Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 375 uh, featuring uh, our good friend Ben Moreau, who I met the first time uh, at THU several years ago. Fantastic concept artist and really great just overall person. But I reconnected with him recently at NFTLA where he was talking about some of his NFT projects and who he, which he's had huge success with, uh, especially with Huxley. Uh, and it was fascinating to talk to him. What, Kristen, what did you think of Ben? Oh, this is a good podcast just to like learn about like someone who's worked so hard and he's now he's really successful in what he does. But right. just from the beginning, he kind of he's worked on like Hobbit Trilogy, Chappie, Call of Duty and Halo, um, kind of started off at Weta. And then he decided to leave there and be a nomad. He calls himself a digital nomad um, mm-hmm. and kind of took off from there and now he has Huxley which is his graphic novel um and it's about a post-apocalyptic story about two scavengers who find an ancient robot and get swept up on an adventure um Mm -hmm. so look more into that we'll have the um, links in our show notes but he kind of discusses why nfts are so great and how it takes out the middleman for like someone like him and then you get direct to consumer sales he gets to keep all the rights to huxley um so yeah it's great to learn about that stuff yeah for sure for sure it's absolutely amazing i mean he's wanting to do huxley for a long time and it was very interesting the way he did it i mean he could have gone to a publicist and try to get it published as a graphic novel but but doing it as uh, selling them as nfts and having that that digital copy that sort of tracked along the way and serialized has sort of created this huge market for it and it's actually fantastic he's been able to obviously create a lot of money for it, uh, but also a huge fan base, even more specifically, mm-hmm. and people who massively support the project. Uh, and it's even going to turn into a movie, it looks like. So it's very yeah. exciting to see what's going on there. I'm very happy for him uh, and fascinating to to look into it. And these are the kind of projects that I think are going to be important in the entertainment industry because they're going to start to change how everyone's thinking about entertainment and, and storytelling in a lot of ways. So I was really happy to talk to Ben and I can't wait to follow up with him and see what else is going on. So if you guys are interested in finding out a really cool, successful NFT project, Huxley is really interesting. As well as you remember last week, we talked to uh, talked to Matteo uh, Santoro, and he was also doing some really interesting work there as well. So just these two examples, I think, are fantastic to talk about and to think about what's going on. So thanks, Ben, for doing this, and we can't wait to follow up on it. All right. Uh, we have uh, one announcement. We have one event coming up. Kristen, what's going on? Yeah, so you can find this out at chaos.com slash events. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, but it is May 18th. We have the Chaos Vantage live webinar. Um, so you can join Chaos's uh, Simeon and 3D artist Andrea Pedrotti, um, who's the creator of Spectrum. And they're going to talk about cars, craft, and creativity with Chaos Vantage. So May 18th. May 18th, which I believe is a Wednesday. So check it out and just go to chaos.com slash events if you want to register for that and find out more about that. Uh, Okay, if people want to know more about the podcast, Kristen, where can they go? You can go to facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And if you guys have any other ideas or questions or comments about this podcast or any other ones, uh, just email us labs at chaosgroup.com. Oh, sorry. No, it's labs at chaos.com. Now we just, now it's our, our email is just chaos.com. So labs at chaos.com, uh, and make sure and leave us, uh, you know, leave us an email and let us know what you want. Or if you have ideas of other podcasts, also, that's a great place to do it as well. Uh, all right. That's uh, out for any further discussion. Let's talk to Ben Moreau with episode number 375. 
Welcome to another CG Garage Where the Chaos Group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops We're gonna fire off rays In high dynamic range We know that ambient occlusion is passe Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now. Fun. It was good seeing you. Uh, la- was it was it last week already <laughs> or two weeks ago? I don't know. Maybe it, was that two weeks ago? Time's kind of flying. It, Time's kind of, kind of yeah, it kind of flying. But yeah, NFTLA was very very interesting. Had you been to one of those before? Uh, just NFT NYC was the first kind of purely NFT event I've been to. Yeah. Oh, when was that? By the way. Last June, I guess it's almost a year now. That really flew by too. Um, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Cool, cool. Well, the first time I think we, you and I met was at uh, THU, or you were a speaker there, and that was mm-hmm. a pretty incredible event. Uh, and I really appreciate it. I'd love to know uh, if you can give you know some of my listeners a little bit. A lot of them come from the visual effects background and and and, and film background. They'd love to know a little bit about your history. So, how did you get into uh, filmmaking and doing concept art and all the stuff you've you've been doing. What was sort of the things that sort of inspired you to do what you do? Probably since when I was in high school, like I think like most of us, we were all into video games and I mean it's like the early days of the internet. Like like with all the stuff happening now, you're kind of it's got me thinking back about all the stuff we've been through in our life and like the time before the internet and how we slowly got this thing into our lives and you know early video games, early online games and um, when I was younger, I was more of a console gamer. So like Halo and all these things were hugely just influential to me and things I did for fun. And I think as I got later in my high school years, I mean, we're always thinking about like, what should I do with my life? Like what, what do I want to do as a job? What do I, like, what is out there? And, um, I was always playing games, but I, I really didn't connect the dots of like, how do I, could I, can I do that for a living? Is that a job? Like, how do you, how do you even do that and it probably wasn't until I was 18 or 19 until I started really taking that more seriously and researching more and like how do you what types of jobs are there in this industry and like what can you do and I was really fascinated by like building levels and architecture for games uh, specifically Halo I, I was just fascinated with like the Forerunner architecture and I thought it'd be cool to design and create levels and things for games which led me to um getting better at drawing. I was always kind of sketching and stuff, but getting better at drawing and then applying to some schools in Seattle uh, for video games called DigiPen at the time, which was like one of the few like quote unquote video game schools. And that kind of led me down a certain path of um, I want to work in games. And when I got there, I, I realized I really enjoyed the design aspect more, which meant I needed more education and more specialized education at uh, a different school. So you know, I, I kind of like was always chasing this goal of what I wanted to do, which led me to expand my understanding of what what the industry was, which then expanded my understanding of the skills and training I needed, which then made me keep following this like rabbit hole of like things I need to know. Um, so from Seattle, went to Art Center because, OK, I need to learn industrial design and entertainment design, which is a lot more education and training. Um, so I went to Art Center 
in Pasadena for more school to to get trained and all these skills that I needed. And that led me into uh, the game and film industry, working early on at like Sony Pictures Animation for internships, uh, doing books and designs with Scott Robertson at Design Studio Press, um, uh, Ready at Dawn and Insomniac for some of my first like contract jobs. And then uh, that led me down to New Zealand at Weta, where I worked on the Hobbit trilogy, um, Chappie, Elysium, um, Mortal Engines, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and a ton of other stuff down there. And it was kind of a nice, like, like melting pot of incredibly talented artists and designers and craftsmen and VFX artists. And it was just a great, like, four years. And after that, I felt like I needed a change and kind of to see the world. And so I sold all my belongings and went on the road for about three years, freelancing on like, uh, multiple call of duty games, uh, advanced warfare, black ops three and four, um, the movie Valerian and, um, a few other things. And this is a fun time, like traveling the world and, uh, being kind of a digital nomad designing for movies and games out of my, laptop while my wife and I um, tried to see as much of the world as possible. And then eventually felt like it was time to settle down. I was kind of in the middle of writing and illustrating uh, my graphic novel Huxley. And I just felt like I really needed a studio again. And so we, we ended up settling back down in Seattle and working on the most recent Halo Infinite and getting to work on those forerunner architecture that fascinated me as a teenager. I kind of had a big full circle moment. So it was pretty, pretty cool kind of to have all those things click into place uh, 10, 10 plus years later or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, uh, I've, I've heard, you know, some people who've been able to, to do the, the, the nomadic life of a concept artist. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, these days, it seems that your geographic location doesn't really have anything to do with your ability to work on any kind of feature film anymore. Uh, so many people are working from home. Do you think that's, you know, that did you, were you experiencing that before or were you actually traveling to studio? Like when you were looking on Valerian, were you, did you go to France? <laughs> for, for a time I did. Yeah. But I don't think they required me, but I just really, again, I'm always kind of chasing these like experiences and understanding like, me going to New Zealand was also part of like, I feel like they're doing something there that I wouldn't learn if I stayed in LA, like right. in LA, they design a certain way and think a certain way from, you know, I, tra I was trained in the same schools as everyone. And we were all kind of thinking the same way and something about what was going on in New Zealand at Weta. I just felt like they were thinking differently and had a really unique perspective on design. And I just wanted to understand and, and learn and, and grow as much as possible from that. Um, and, uh, but when I, when I left to travel, I, I think that was kind of early at the time. Like that was a little bit unusual when I did it. Um, but now because of COVID and, and everything, like it's, everyone's okay with it. But at the time it was like, I remember that was like a, it was kind of a weird thing. I was like, Hey, how about I just like design for you? You know, I'm, I'm going to be traveling. And, and I was able to like, you had to be a bit of a salesman at the time to, well, you know, this is why it's beneficial and because it was kind of a weird thing and with security and stuff, uh, they're always a bit scared about leaks and things. But I think by then I had built enough of a 
following and and desire for my work from working on the films and stuff that they were kind of made an exception for me. Um, but now sure. I think it's a lot more common for sure. Yeah. Well, what were you working on at Sony when you at the you know at the beginning? I was working on. Um, I think they were trying to do some. It was all for the animation side. So like, oh, okay. It was some early pitches or... for animated films they wanted to make that I think got canceled after a week. And I was this was like my first experience <laughs> in like animation. I was like, oh okay. It worked for two weeks and they cancel it. And then I think I did some work on the very first Hotel T, and yeah. uh, a few of the films that were getting started around then. And um, okay. I think they were finishing the first Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And I don't know, it was just a cool like first internship uh and i was surrounded by like incredible production designers and artists like paul lesane and luke desmarchelier and um uh armand serrano and um yeah just just incredible like people that i still still have in touch with now but like i remember at the time just being admiring their work yeah. so much so it was like a really again a, just a great pressure cooker of incredibly talented uh people in one room so this must have been around 2005 or six or something like that. Is that about right? Maybe, or maybe like eight, 2008, something like that. Seven or eight, maybe it was. Okay. Yeah. It was quite a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was there in 2006. So I, it was, a, Sony was huge at that time. It was almost a thousand people at Imageworks. I remember it was a really big environment. Uh, anyway, that's really great. I mean, that's really fascinating. It also sounds like you had a really amazing experience over at Weta and then obviously going on your own. But um, I know that, you know, one of the big things obviously I want to talk to you about and uh, is about Huxley and, mm -hmm. and and what that is and and how how that gets started as well as obviously all the the unique aspects of it that you're doing and your thoughts, obviously, on how Web3 is going to change the way creativity is being fostered. So let's start with Huxley as the idea that you obviously had in your in your head for a long time and finally were able to get it out. So tell us a little bit about the origins of that story. Sure. Um, I mean, a lot of it goes back to even those early days when I was a student, like some of the early drawings that are in the graphic novel are from 2007, 2008. I didn't know what it was going to be called or what it might turn into, but the style and like the idea was there. Um, and I think around like maybe 2013 or 2014, I designed the the kind of yellow Huxley character robot. And it just like mm -hmm. kind of solidified of just like, there's something here. I've kind of had these other ideas and, but this character is like centerpiece for this story. And I just started thinking about a, a bigger narrative I wanted to turn around this character. And um, I remember it was quite a popular image at the time and got, got shared around a lot that people thought it was cool and the style and everything. Um, and uh, from there, I just started sketching out pages, writing, writing ideas and kind of formulating a, an idea of what I wanted this uh, kind of giant story to be in this post-apocalyptic world. And um, Initially, it was more like I want to take time off to do this because I was traveling at the time uh, for Valerian and all these other movies. And um, I kind of had like 10 or 15 pages like thumbnailed out of like the first chunk of the story. And um, I remember, OK, once Valerian's done, I'm going to take six months off and then I'm going to then I'm going to make my comic. And then, you know, another job comes in that's equally as cool. And it's like after this job. I'll take the six months off and finally start my comic. And I just realized I'm never going to have a chunk of time to, 
dedicate to the thing I really want to do. So I just figured out a way to like start now. So during lunchtime, it's like, okay, there's like an hour uh, after after I get off work and dinner. It's like, okay, there's like another block of time. And I just started figuring out a way to get pages done. It was like, I know what page one looks like. Let's get it done. And and finding those little chunks of time through my schedule, you know, I just figured out a way to 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 multitask and do both at the same time. And after a while, it's like, well, I got 10 pages done. Like, that's amazing. Um, by just figuring out a way to fit it in and um, make it work. Uh, and from there, it was just a lot of years of learning how to be a writer, learning how to tell stories, uh, doing a bunch of research into an, an analysis of narrative arcs that I like and, and figuring out how to tell a compelling story and, and illustrate it by hand <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> Um, I, I think the main reason I wanted to do it though, was like, it's still one of the few ways that a single creator can make their own product. Um, you know, like a movie and some of these other mediums are obviously a much better way to reach a broader audience. Cause everyone can, can just watch a moving video or something, but that usually requires, you know, 30 to a hundred or, or thousand people sometimes for these big projects. So a graphic novel was still. It's very difficult, but it's still one of the few ways a single person can write and illustrate something. Um, but it is very difficult because, you know, you got to be, you have to be the writer, director, production designer, concept artist, illustrator. Like you have to do like a thousand jobs, but it is possible. It just, it just takes a long time. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's the sort of the story. Did you, were you, were you a fan of graphic novels? I know you said you mm -hmm. were into video games, but it's obviously graphic novels were something that inspired you too, right? Yeah, so like I was, I was hugely obsessed with uh, um, like French and Japanese graphic novels and manga, and it's kind of Huxley's kind of a big melting pot of all these things. Um, I was a huge Mobius fan, um, huge uh, Meta Barons, um, Juan Gimenez is is incredible, um, and uh, Otomo and Shiro and all these incredible Japanese designers and and storytellers, just like. Uh, kind of set the bar for for all the things I wanted to hopefully create and um I don't know it's just like a it's almost like you see what your heroes have achieved and you want to do hopefully something that could be compared the same maybe someday by the time you're dead um it's just like a it's like a shared experience with people that you admire you know it's like when I would sit there and start sketching out and thinking about the story I wanted to tell and mentally calculating the years it was going to take me to do that you're just you start your your inner voice kind of starts complaining and then you just look to the akira book on your table and it's like well he did it and that's and you just mentally calculate the years that you're holding in your hand you're just like okay i'm gonna shut up and get back to work now because my heroes did this i i can do it too and um it was i don't know it's just like a nice it makes me feel like i'm connected to these people that i really admire um and it's just, I don't know, it's like an experience, like you can't buy it. You can't, you can't yeah. fake it. You can't buy it. It's like something you have to do. And it's like an experience I want to have in my life is just like these people I admire have done this and gone through this and I want to do it and go through that as well. Yeah. That's a really, really amazing way to do it. I I can't do that for basketball, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't. And I couldn't do it for graphic novel either, but uh, at the same time, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, it's it's really kind of kind of great that you're doing this. But um, t 
Tell us a little bit about the story of Huxley, if you can. Like, what's, sure. what's the, the premise of the story? So basically, these two uh, soldiers called Ronin, like humans have been kind of decimated in this, this, on this planet and uh, machines have kind of taken over and kind of clone humans as workers and soldiers in this, in this world to like uh, go on missions and run errands and things and uh, give them kind of a purpose in life in, in the cities they've created. And two of these kind of like soldiers called Ronin are off on their first kind of mission and come across this buried robot in a, in an old mind and take it back and fix it up and find it has coordinates to a what they view as lost treasure and kind of sets them off on a um, kind of globe trotting adventure where they uncover mysteries and and find a bunch of uh, interesting things about the past of this planet and um, meet a lot of uh, CD and uh, dangerous characters along the way. And um, I won't spoil anything, <laughs> but yeah, okay. just a nice uh, like, um, unexpectedly finding this thing that sets them off on a, a grand adventure uh, in this uh, post-apocalyptic science fiction universe. And so are you seeing this as a, as a series or as a, as a single novel or how do you see this? The book is all done. Uh, the graphic novel is all done and that's would be a self-contained film. I, I see, I mean, I could see it turning into a TV show, but in my mind that would be like a really cool epic film. And it's currently being adapted by Ari Rod of Rod Productions and uh, Jerome Chen for the feature film adaptation. And so right now, yeah, we're thinking of it more as like a, a film. But um, yeah, I'm kind of open to seeing like what what's possible and where all that might go. Um, but I do have plans for like more of a TV show, which would take place before the story um, and some other CG short films and things. I'm, I'm working with other uh, directors and things to do that could fit that could be created, but fit within the timelines of all this other bigger stuff that's getting made. Um, and then in the process of working with some writers for like more of like a novel book for like some of the things that happened earlier before the graphic novel and, and after the graphic novel. So just planning out as many kind of content tiers as, as possible uh, to get the story into different um, avenues that, that people enjoy reading content in. Well, so tell us a little bit about like, you know, obviously, you know, you, you took, you decided to, to buckle down and, 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 and do it, uh, as you said, but tell us a little bit about the novel idea of how you were going to think about using NFTs for this and how that's going to work and how the funding happened and what, what the, the process you went through to actually do what you do. Like what, what was your idea when you started this in terms of how that eventually led you to, to an NFT route? Sure. Um, I mean, I, I was working on this for like 10 years. So like originally it was right. just. I'm going to finish this and I guess I'll go to like a publisher and try to get it out there like everyone else I know has done. And um, that was kind of the current plan of just or the early plan, because that was the only avenue available to to all of us. Right. Um, and then maybe someday it'll get more popular enough that maybe I could turn it into a movie or something. Um, but anticipating those meetings and things, I about a year or so before I knew I was going to finish, I partnered with uh my friend Sava Zikovic, who's an amazing director, to kind of make a trailer out of the the graphic novel um, to show what it could look like as a film. And so we spent about a year or so um, taking moments from the comic and turning them into like incredibly realistic 
scenes that you can see in in the trailer that's kind of done really well. I think we're almost like 3.2 or 3.3 million views collectively uh already and which is amazing. We didn't advertise, we didn't like get it didn't get plugged on any giant websites or gaming sites or anything like just all organically people just thinking it's really cool uh which which is really flattering. I I'm really excited to see that and and people are just really excited about like what is this where you know when's the movie come out like what what's going on like uh i want more uh so that's been pretty cool to see um but once i was getting close to finishing or basically finished the graphic novel and was planning to like start sending stuff out to publishers this kind of technological revolution happened with uh nfts and blockchain and um it took me a little while to understand what was happening, but it just felt like this is the moment I've been waiting for as a digital artist, my whole life basically. And I was like, maybe this is a really interesting way to launch a product and an IP in 2021, 2022. And I basically just came up with a plan to like turn it into a, a launch strategy for this IP I've been building for, you know, most what, of my career. What was it? What was it that appealed to you about the nft strategy uh well the thing i love and have been pushing for my whole career is um basically just cutting out the middleman and <laughs> nfts cut out the middleman 100 <laughs> percent. so right. that was probably the biggest thing of just like i can sell a product and the revenue goes directly to me with no like 100 people producers and whoever taking all of that um and traditional publishing also, so it's like direct to consumer and I keep all the rights for my work as well, which which is a huge thing. Because had I gone to like a publisher, I probably would have got like 5 to 10% of the revenue maybe. Um, and all my rights would probably be taken. So I couldn't do anything with my creation. So I spend all that time. I spend like most of my career, someone else makes money off my creation and takes all my rights. So I'm not okay with that. Um and to me, this just felt like, well, it's new, it's unproven, it's like kind of scary. Like it's just, I don't know many people who would spend most of their life and then risk it all on a a new thing that just just started happening. <laughs> but I was just like, well, let's let's try it. Let's see what happens. Um, and just kind of went for it, and uh, it's been doing really well. And so I'm kind of I'm pretty glad I, I kind of went this route and. Um, just took a risk on something new and um, just still kind of seeing where it goes. The rules are still being kind of written every day as we're going and um, yeah, just, just keeping it going and keep growing it. Can you explain your NFT strategy and like how you did your launch and how that all went? So we launched the comics as there's six issues to the full story and we're about halfway through right now. And um, the comics are launched as NFTs and you can go to the website and download and read the PDF. And then also there's kind of like tokenomics and kind of gamification of the actual cover of the NFTs, which is what you get on the blockchain and people can burn them to get avatars and um, other kind of perks and kind of uh, basically like it almost allowing it to be like a choose your own adventure of, of things within the project. Uh, and I don't think that that's definitely one of the things we had to learn was like, I don't think there's a market for like a one-to-one -one selling product in this space. So you have to like, 
learn as you go and adapt your strategy and um, just see what people like, see, see what works and um, learn how to tailor a launch strategy to the market you're, you're going into um, because they, they very much value certain things over other things. And um, I think Huxley was also kind of too, like I did too much work or it was like too big for the market to understand because everything launching when we launched was like very simple, like buy the cute panda on Friday. And that's like, that's all you have to understand, right? Like <laughs> buy cute panda on Friday. That's all you need to know. Um, right. But this is like, oh, it's this giant franchise. It's this giant IP and it's got comics and it's got this and it's got that. It's going to be, you know, all these other things are happening. And I think it kind of was, it was just so different that people just didn't really understand what I was doing at first. And so um, a lot of it was just like, like not getting discouraged that maybe it wasn't like an immediate success, but we just kind of kept going and building. And um, like, I, I knew I created something awesome. And it, I think it was just like, I believed in it so much that I'm just going to stick with it. And I think eventually the market will catch up and understand what I, what I'm trying to make. Um, and I think that eventually did happen now. Um, but it was definitely some scary months where it was pretty slow and, you know, you kind of doubt yourself, maybe, maybe this wasn't the right way to do it or, or whatever, but I think I'm glad I stuck out and, um, kept building and growing it. And, um, allowing this to kind of, uh, be the way to launch it. it, but it's like anything, right? Like you launch a YouTube channel and you make a video and you're like, Oh, why didn't, why isn't this, isn't this instantly successful? You know, <laughs> you gotta, you have to build it and keep growing it. And, um, just like anything. Right. Well, I think one of the things I remember, you know, obviously when you were talking at NFTLA, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that the, the actual uh, relationship between comic books and NFTs, right? Because comic books are something that you buy and, and trade and exchange and, and you have value as they, you know, get rarer or whatever it is. So, uh, are your, are, are, are the NFTs of the, of the, the, um, of each of the, these, these books, are they actually unique to each other? Like, do you have like serial numbers on them or how do you, how does it mm -hmm. end up being unique? So that's how yeah. it works. So they're serialized. Um, and so some people want different serials. Some people, uh, don't care and just want a comic. And, um, and then there's physical component as well. So we allow people to redeem for a physical that's tied to that serial. So if someone got number one, they get a number one serial. Um, and so the serial, the, the physicals are, for our first one are shipping out pretty soon and it'll be exciting to finally, it kind of almost creates multiple markets of people like trading the real one, the, the IRL one and the digital one. And then some collectors right. who will want both. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just going to be exciting to see how these two aspects of the same product uh, work themselves out in the market. It's, it's going to be really fun. And how, how many, how many copies do you sell? Like, obviously you don't, did, how many NFTs of each, uh, uh, of each are you making? Uh, 10,000 for each issue. So it's 10, a bit, bit limited. Um, we're, we're trying to make this one, like, I view this as like the first edition for like, uh, the kind of really like super fan collectors. And, um, later we'll, we'll try to do like a bigger worldwide, um, but we'll obviously be different and not, not have any NFT component to it. Um, and because obviously the, the goal would be the whole world and as many people in the world would read this. And right now the NFTs are, um, you know, 10,000 is not a million people in the world. Right. 
Uh, right. So it's, I feel this is like the first step to growing the IP and getting it out there in a an interesting new way and um, keep keep expanding and and reaching a bigger audience as possible as it as it grows over the years. And what, uh, uh, you know, uh, the ten thousand. Okay, yeah, that's that's a lot. Now the the one of the other. Um, uh, things I mean, we mentioned uh, you're using Flow, right? Is that the, the the no Ethereum? You're using Ethereum, okay. So uh, how did yeah? How did you get your launch? I mean, did you partner with someone to help you out? I mean, making a making a launch page and all that stuff is kind of complicated. I'm sure. Yeah, to figure some of that. Out. So the earlier project I did called Evolution was on Flow, um, and that's where I just kind of launched it on someone else's website and. Um, but for Huxley, it felt more suited for Ethereum, but I just don't know how to do any of that. So I partnered with uh, my friend Stephen Aluse, who has a company called Feature that helped with uh, building the site, doing the blockchain, smart contract work, um, marketing, community, all that good stuff. And a lot of it was just recognizing like what I'm good at and what I need help with and just finding people who are good at those things. Um, and just just you know, partnering and finding, finding the right people to do that with. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's, what are your thoughts on, on, on the, you know, those, the different blockchains like flow or Ethereum or things of that nature? Uh, there's, I mean, obviously there's different, like, like Ethereum is still proof of work, which is definitely not very efficient, but it is the original one. And most people view as like the thing that will last forever and I feel like that there's just different collector groups on each one, right? So like people view, generally it feels like people view Ethereum as like, if I buy things on this network, it's going to hold its value the most because it's just the oldest and it's never going to go anywhere. Um, even though it's not as efficient where, you know, sometimes because because of gas, like the gas costs more than the actual product you were trying to buy. Like I know someone who tried to buy something for $10 and it was like $300 in gas. So it's like, what, what's going on here? Like that's, right. that's not very efficient. <laughs> Whereas these other blockchains <laughs> yeah. like flow and um, some of the other proof of uh, stake blockchains, it's very efficient. It's super fast. There's no, there's like zero fees. It's there's no minting, there's no gas. Um, and they're much more efficient. I think it's just like a balancing act of like, getting people to onboard and be excited about these new things. And um, I think everyone's, again, it's like the rules are being written all the time. Like everyone's just trying to figure out what, um, what the best way to do things. But then there's other things where, you know, there's a lot of people who are just like Ethereum only, but then something comes out like a, like Axie infinity or something that isn't on Ethereum. And I didn't hear anyone say anything about, ethereum right it's just like i'm gonna buy all these things and i'm gonna you know as long right. as there's like a use case that's compelling enough people really don't seem to mind um but otherwise it does feel like people lean towards uh ethereum at least at the moment in april of 2022 right yeah it's changing every six months it's a completely different landscape for sure um now uh you mentioned um Sorry, when you were when you were talking about Ethereum and, and glass prices, I was thinking, what is the actual floor price of of like one of your one of your uh, NFTs for for Huxley? I think the well, it's different for each for each issue. Um, issue okay. one, we had a burn, so there's less in circulation. Um, I think it's like 
700 to 1,000 for the just a normal issue. And then issue one is the most rare and valuable. And I think that's currently like it was sold for 0.1. And I think the floor is like one Ethereum. So it's like 10 times more valuable than on launch day. So it's like over $3,000 for something that, for one something that yeah. people paid $300 for or something, right? Um, right? And some of those actually, my past collectors of like evolution and stuff, we gave them one for free. So people, I think we were calculating, we basically gave away like over $3 million worth of comics or something. And some people just, threw them away or sold them immediately it's just like okay <laughs> um <laughs> but it's it's cool because it's stuff like that where it's like people who like your work you can kind of do this like reward with all your different projects and you know some people value it some people don't value it but a lot of people who held on to it are just like whoa like that's amazing like thanks so much um and i think that's a cool thing about nfts as well as like traditionally if you're like a consumer of something you love, you're just giving and there's not much coming back. Right. Um, right. But, but this way, like if I'm a fan of something, I can buy this thing and I'm also rewarded if the project does well and, and people are excited. And so there, there's as that aspect to it as well. It's like, like a more direct form of like community and fandom for things that you love but people can also be rewarded quite well from collecting these things um, just from being involved and being excited about stuff. And I just don't feel like I've like, there's, there's aspects of that in the, like the web too, where it's like, I bought this rare comic book of Spider-Man that I loved, like, Oh my God, it's so rare now. And, and now I made some, some profit if I wanted to sell that, or I bought all my old Akira comics and they've gone up in value significantly. Um, so I guess we've always had that or like Pokemon cards. Like if you just love Pokemon, like you could, basically make a living just like trading Pokemon cards because so many people love it and there's rare ones and um, different grading and, and value to the condition and stuff. So this kind of collector culture has always been there in all these like different things we've loved over the years. And even people trading like old boxes of Nintendo cartridges, right? Like, like yeah. all these things we grew up on, like people just hanging on to them and love them and um, being rewarded for being a fan of like kind of, video game and art and uh, IP history. Do you think people are, did you feel that there are people who are buying into Huxley as, as investors <laughs> knowing that it was going to be something or did you feel mostly people that were fans of the actual work itself? I'm sure. There's sure there's a bit of both. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, a, a bit of both, I guess. I feel like it's always a mix in kind of the NFT space. Like some people that just like, want to flip it immediately and get some money and leave and other people who are just like, I see where this is going and I believe in this and um, like, don't worry about it. Like keep, keep growing this and keep building it and I'll see you in six months kind of thing. Um, so there's, right. there's like always a range of, of different, different people getting into it. What was, uh, you know, how did you, how did you get the word out beside, you know, you put, you put to the, you did your, your your trailer did you do your trailer before the launch yeah the trailer was done a year and well actually we didn't even release it for six months after the launch so it was like finished for over a year like a, almost a year and a few months that we're just sitting on it um because it didn't feel right to do it immediately at the launch um 
because a lot of the moments are from like almost the first half of the story. So once we got to around issue three, um, they felt right. Cause that was about like half of, I didn't want to spoil like half the story or something. <laughs> right. um, but that's interesting. So, so how did you get the word out? How did you, how, what was the, the, the role of like, you know, getting people to know about this launch and how, how does it, how does that work for you? I guess mainly Twitter. Um, that's where the, the market seems to be like everyone is just on Twitter and discord um, and just finding ways to like reach the market that is, is buying this stuff. Cause like going on Instagram or all these traditional sites, I don't think there's any, that's not where the market is. And so it's just finding and advertising to, to people who would be interested in this thing. And um, I think that's where some people got some pushback and, and hatred was they were marketing it in the wrong audience who just hates that it's like yeah i don't know it's like it's like uh you're selling a product that people it's like selling like like dairy to a non-dairy crowd or something right you have to find right. people who are are using that product or, or whatever yeah i can imagine i can imagine but it's it is it is a little bit of a you know something we had a little bit of a discussion uh last week it is a bit of a uh polarization in this there's some people mm -hmm. who are really into it and some people that are very against it um i also feel that on in in some cases there's just justification for some of the concerns but there's also a lot of misinformation that seems sure. to be going around um what are your thoughts what are your some some of your concerns that you have obviously with 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 this in general like do you do you i mean obviously you're taking advantage of, of it and you're doing a great job of creating a really great work and this is something that is really enabled for you but do you have concerns and what are those concerns um i'm not sure i guess i just see it as like this is i guess i just feel like this is the moment for artists to finally get paid for their efforts in a way that we've never had before. And I just see it as like, it's still very early. It just feels like the beginning of the internet or something. Right. And like, imagine yeah. if people were just like, I'm only going to sell things in a store. How dare you go on this computer thing and sell things like that's not, that is awful. Like you're using this piece of technology and it's, it's terrible. And I, I view it as like, I see it for what it is. I guess all of us going through the, the early days of the internet and seeing there was pushback on, on websites and, you know, people are like, what on the computer? Like, what are you doing? That's so weird. Like, like, yeah. why would you do that? Why don't you just go to the store? Like, it was just a weird thing and people just didn't get it. And some people like hated it. And um, so I guess I view it more like this, where it's just like, this is a new piece of technology. That's maybe it's like the internet with a 56 K modem. Like it's very inefficient. But you see there's something there that's incredibly valuable, but it's it's maybe just the beginning of it. But I guess I just see it like I did with the Internet in the early days. So for me, I just view it as like it's going to get better. This is just the beginning of it. And I see where all this is going. And I would prefer to be on board at the start and be there as it gets better over time than like demonizing or or hating on something that's just kind of getting started, I guess. Um, I'm sure it was the same with Gumroad as well. Like, oh, we don't need to go to a big company to do a tutorial. We can just release it to an audience. I'm sure some people hated that too because it cut them out of the equation. And um, 
yeah, it's just a disruptive piece of technology that it's, it's, it's not going anywhere, you know? Yeah. 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 For sure. I think, I think that's an interesting thing. What about, you know, I just, cause not some of the audience may not actually know what a rug pull is, but the, the rug pull is basically, uh, uh, you know, but I'm going to explain it. Anyway. Sure. <laughs> a rug pull is, uh, basically, uh, where there's an NFT project that has a kind of a roadmap to it in mm -hmm. terms of what it's going to do. And then it sells a bunch of NFTs, gets a bunch of money. Uh, and then for some reason they do not execute on the actual roadmap. Uh, or they abandon the project and mm -hmm. makes those NFTs worthless. And sometimes that can be nefariously done because they'll just like money grabs, or sometimes it's just they didn't realize they had absolutely no ability to execute on what they mm -hmm. said they could do. Um, but these types of things, uh, there's going to be a lot of people launching NFT projects, and I have a sure. feeling there's going to be a lot of rug pulls uh, because yeah. of that. Yeah, and I guess I'm, maybe that is... Do you think is... that's going to that's be a concern because it's going to make people question your own project because they'll be nervous for about rug pulls i don't think necessarily mine but like because most of the time that happens like the day after right like we sold all this right. stuff and then they shut down the discord delete the website and it's like bah, you know <laughs> that's that's usually the bad thing <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and those people are getting arrested now right so like like i'm glad that's kind of happening for people who are you know doing nefarious things, but that happens in every industry, right? Like someone does a Kickstarter, makes like $10 million and they bail. And then, you know, 10 years later, the thing is still not shipped. And they're just like, oh yeah, we're working on it. Uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe next, you know, that's been right. happening forever. So it's like doing your research, making sure the team is solid and has experience building these things. And um, uh, I think the only negative is just like, if too much of that happens, it does make give the appearance that everything is like that, which which isn't the case. Um, but unfortunately, there is quite a bit of that, and um, people a lot of people get burned. Like I've been burned on a lot of projects too, and um, it's unfortunately just part of it. Just like just trying to avoid those things that you know don't have teams in place, or they're all anonymous. And it's like, what did you think <laughs> was going to happen? <laughs> this anonymous <laughs> team is going to make the next world of warcraft and we all bought it and they just left after a day and you're like oh should have saw that coming um <laughs> yeah so so yeah i think a lot of it is just like it being so early and a lot of disingenuous people hopping in but i think over time the projects that have been building something or like with me i've been working on this for like 10 years like it's the foundation is all there and the work is done for the most part for the main core product that I was launching. And it's like, it's just a matter of releasing it and not like, yeah, someday I'm going to make a comic and uh, yeah, maybe it's like, no, I, I, I did the work before I launched my product, which is what you're supposed to do. But right. it feels like most of the other projects are doing the, the complete opposite where it's like, here's a picture that represents a comic I'm going to make someday. Give me a bunch of money and maybe in 10 years, I'll make a comic. And I just feel like that's asking for a bad experience. Um, right. Because it's just, you would never invest in that. Like in web two, right? If someone said that to you, you're like, get out of here, you know? But for some reason, it feels well, like very common. You brought, up kick, you brought up Kickstarter. There's been a bunch of Kickstarters that have sure. sort of done that in some ways. But what's interesting to me is actually, you know, from NFT LA is the film and 
like like people trying to make films, right? Because it's very expensive to make a film, and a lot sure. of people don't have that money to be able to do it themselves. So, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about you is like it doesn't actually cost a lot of money to make a comic book, except a huge amount of your time, <laughs> right? Yeah, but if you add that so, up, that that like if I had to hire someone to spend. 10 years that sure. is a lot of money <laughs> it is it a is, lot of money yeah. but, but but i mean you don't have to hire a film crew and sure. do all that stuff right so so those that costs money and so what's interesting is that people are doing independent films uh and they're doing these as um you know they're using nfts to fund the actual filming of it right and that's their idea of cutting out the middleman because then you don't have to go from studio to studio and pitch a movie anymore uh which is kind of an interesting idea in itself uh so um you know just doing that is an interesting thing and people there people are celebrating uh the nft world as the, the place for people that do the projects that hollywood doesn't want to do right then suddenly warner brothers comes in and sells two hundred thousand batman mm-hmm. uh cows and what was fascinating to me about NFTLA, I heard a lot of people on panels after that announcement that were very upset about <laughs> Batman coming into their space of independent filmmakers. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like it's going to happen anyway, right? They're just getting right. in. They're just starting early, and 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 that's why I thought it was important for artists to, you know try this stuff out sooner than later because it will end up being probably like what we have now in some form, the big companies come back in and dominate and suck the air out of the room. Um, like has happened every generation of, of technological kind of revolutions or whatever. Um, you know, like the Netflix comes in and disrupts the old world. And now it feels like every company has their own Netflix. And now we're kind of back to cable again. And, you know, but there's a moment there where people could have created something really fascinating to to create their own thing and be the Netflix or whatever of that kind of moment. And I feel like that's the moment here where it's like the beginning of a new YouTube or the beginning of a new whatever. And you can get in and establish yourself as one of the um, kind of people at the forefront as opposed to coming in later when maybe uh, it's basically just like what we have now. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know, like seeing stuff like that just shows me that like, the big companies are going to come in sooner than later and, and try to dominate as much as possible, like last time. And, um, but I, I hope what the general population sees is like, this is an opportunity for you to support individual creators in a way that has never been possible before. And sure. I hope they, when they do start collecting and getting into this stuff, they try to see where the money is going. Like, okay, if I buy a Batman thing, where is that going? It's probably not going to the artist who designed the Batman helmet or whatever. It's probably going to the company. So finding projects that you're like, this is awesome. Okay. I know for a fact that the money is going to that individual creator who spent 10 years working on that. Like I want to support that. Um, I guess just, Thinking about it in that way would be helpful, I guess. Uh, and hopefully that's a sticking point or a bullet point that is a bit more advertised as as things grow. Um, like, where is this going? Like, yes, I love Batman, but where is that going? 
you know? Right. Yeah. I, I find it fascinating, uh, to, to hear that. It was one of the most interesting conferences I've been to. Well, I haven't been to one in a long time. So maybe <laughs> that's why I was with COVID. I definitely was stuck inside for a long time. Uh, but I do. So, so a little, a couple more questions. So you, you mentioned, obviously it's being, did you, it's, it's been adapted or people are going to make it into a film. Has it been greenlit? Like how did, how did you, uh, getting this, uh, uh, being made into a film happened? Were you approached by someone or did you guys start pitching it to studios? Or what's going um, on there? We were, uh, like we, like Stephen and me, we've been working in the film industry for a long time. And Stephen especially, are, we're all kind of quite well connected in kind of Hollywood. And so a lot of it was just like, once we have something ready, we have the people we can get in touch with to see if they're interested in um, when we showed a lot of people, they were really excited and they saw the breadth of work that was done already in what I had created and me working in the film industry for so long, I just know what is needed for a pitch to get something made. And so I did all that work ahead of time. And so I know when a producer or someone sees that, they're just like, this is ready to go. Like, let's, let's make it, you know? Um, and so that was my hope. And that is what happened where it's just like, you show people who are actively making movies and they're just like, yeah, like story's great. Art's awesome. Like here's what it looks like. Like this is the easiest pitch I'll ever have in my life. You know, it's just like here right. is a silver platter with everything for you. Like, and it's just like, do you, are you interested in doing this? And, and I think it was a pretty easy sell. And uh, luckily we got, you know, incredible producers involved that are, incredibly active making making a bunch of films and things um so i'm i'm really honored and excited that uh we got ari and jerome to be involved to to make this a reality well that's awesome that's awesome but what about what about the film itself so you see the the film being released in a traditional way or are you looking at some of the new uh web3 ideas that are out there probably not for a movie just because there's okay. like just being through the film industry like it takes thousands of people to make a film with production studios all over the world and i just think it's going to be a while probably before that's going to change it just it just takes too many people and too much like organization on such high levels to to make something of that scale um but i am interested on the tv show side of maybe experimenting with that and exploring that um because it feels a little more manageable uh, on a show. Um, but for, for a big film, it just feels, it just feels like such a, a it's like too complicated, I think at the moment. Um, but, but maybe, but, but for now I'm, I'm thinking more traditionally with, with the feature film. Okay. I mean, the thing that what I found, you know, I've been doing a lot of research in NFTs and some of the, the projects that are going on and also looking at what's happening in, in, in Hollywood. One of the things that was very clear at that conference was the 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 refrain that kept being chanted is like screw the middleman right like I can do this right and so it was uh, Hollywood is filled with middlemen <laughs> it's mostly middlemen and I, what incentivizes those uh, the middlemen is that they get paid based on a portion a percentage of the production budget and so their incentive is to make that production budget as high as possible. Mm. <laughs> so that they get as much money as possible. So 
there is a lot of bloat in that area that I think is not necessarily there uh, or necessary or ne not necessary. Uh, and you know, what, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, at this point there's going to be, do you think that this, you know, web three is going to disrupt uh, the Hollywood system in some ways? I think at some point for sure. Yeah. I, I'm just, I guess from my standpoint, I just see it as such a complicated thing though, to do all this. Like you would need to have like a decentralized network of filmmakers and studio, like a decentralized Warner brothers or like, like someone has to make a decentralized Warner brothers or someone that can like help with the production and like from casting, like all these things that need to be done. Like you would need to have a decentralized version of that somehow yeah which i could see happening but it's like are you gonna get like the best directors cinematographers film might like in the world to do that I, I don't know like like it's such an organizational like it seems so miracle they, I, to happen yeah. <laughs> like in the first place yeah right now like to see but to see that happen like without like i don't know it, it just to me it just seems like such a herculean task for something of that level I, I don't know maybe but someday i could see it but i'm not sure i just feel like that might take a while to do okay because sometimes i go on you know if i go on set and i see a bunch of stuff being made it just it feels like a decentralized system where a bunch of people get called in you know all these different grips and every they're all you know they're not coming from a single company they don't work for a company they are kind of sure Everyone is a freelancer in some ways. I think the other interesting thing that I was trying to – part of me is like eye-rolling a little bit. But part of me is like, well, there may be something to this. Is Someone mentioned that unions could be replaced by DAOs. <laughs> so the idea – a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization, which mm -hmm. is technically – um, just to explain to my, you know, you know that, but uh, uh, explain to the audience. It's basically it's it's like you have a company, but it's it's organized by the shareholders that are the NFT owners in some ways uh, that make the decision for it. So the idea is that a union could be uh, executed by DAOs, which I thought was an interesting idea in itself. Do you have any thoughts about trying to find these different ways that are applying? Web3 technologies and creating translations for all kinds of aspects out there? I mean, right now it's like, like we said, it's like the early days. Like people are just like, maybe we could do that. Let's try it. So I think right. there's going to be like a lot of trial and error and a lot of stuff isn't going to work exactly how we thought. And some things will work, work better in ways we, we never thought. Like, I think I saw some podcasts with the OpenSea guys and they didn't expect art to be the thing that exploded Right. Yeah. They thought it would be like uh, virtual worlds or something or like trading uh, gaming worlds, which maybe it will someday. But it just games. They said like games take so long to make. And looking in hindsight, of course, it was art because it's such a base use case that was needed for so long. And of course, that ended up being the thing that cracked it open. Um, but even they like were planning for something else and like, oh, that's the thing. OK. Um, and I'm it's sure it'll be the same with this it's just like oh all this technology be so great for this and it's just like actually it was just that that was the thing that ended up being the great use case for it so right i think we're, it's just going to be all trial and error and we really have no idea um what's going to stick and what what isn't um 
It was funny. I was talking to uh, a guy last year when I was first starting to look into this, and I was uh, had a conversation with a uh, head of finance at NYU, and his thing about NFTs was not at all about art. It was about insurance policies <laughs> as an NFT, and then um, uh, 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 class credentials. So, like, if you're graduating, you're like your grades and everything are as an NFT that can't be changed, right? You can't alter your grade because it's it's burned into the blockchain. So it was very interesting to sort of think of those those different use cases that are like, oh, well, that makes sense. But yeah, I didn't expect art to be such a big thing. What a, there 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 was a lot of mixed mixed reaction last you know last year when the nft craze came out with with artists a lot of people trying to put things on nfts and it created a lot of friction did you feel some of that friction yourself did you have some fallout with some people about about that situation i didn't personally but i did see a lot of friends that got attacked pretty hard um and they kind of still did it like quietly though but i don't know it just kind of created a weird thing because they created such an audience with like a certain group of people and all those people hated this thing um yeah it's an interesting thing to watch but then then again a lot of those arguments that i heard so strongly have kind of disappeared right like so it was interesting it's like where where was that really coming from like is that was it legitimate was it just like a people just needed a hot take to to throw around or i really just have not heard a lot of those arguments from a year ago in a very long time so it's been yeah. interesting to follow the kind of like ups and downs and pros and cons. And a lot of those early things I, when, when I researched, I, I didn't see the data to back up where these guys were coming from. Right. So I was a little confused, like um, kind of the, where that, where those arguments were coming from, I guess, or the intent right. behind them. But this this whole this whole process you went to has allowed you to completely sort of do your own thing, and no, you don't you're not, you're not, you're not having to do concept art for other people anymore, are you? <laughs> Great. Which is all well, I mean, that's, that's the goal for all of us, right? I mean that that was kind right. of like the hope with like the gum roads and the the tutorials and like I mean these are all like feel like baby steps for this to happen, and I think I mentioned that a few times with with other people was just like. There's these moments for artists over the years, and a lot of them just didn't align with me personally. You know, it's like tutorials and, and this kind of thing. It's like I did a little bit and it's like, OK, that's pretty cool. But I have to make money explaining how I make art because my art is still not valuable or there's no way to value my art. But creating a video of how I made the painting, I can sell that as something that has value to people. But at the end of the day, I still want to be creating art and building universes and telling stories. And I don't want to be like the end result of that is like, I need to be a teacher. I need to make a school. And that's how I monetize my skill set. And that just isn't what I want to do. And so it's like, no, that's not for me. I, I more power to anyone who's like a natural born teacher. And that's like in their soul from their childhood. I'm like, awesome. But it's just not for me. And then YouTube was like, same kind of thing. But it's like, now I have to be a media person or like a. I don't know, like an entertainer almost. And it's like most artists are pretty introspective and quiet. And again, it just didn't align with like who I was. And then with NFTs, it was just like, I can finally sell. People can buy the exact art that I love to make. And it's like a direct, I can, the art can be valued for what it is and not how I made the art. And I was like, this is it. That's, that's the one. Um, right. And just kind of like, I, I just, I guess I just, from all those like ups and downs and moments for artists, 
it was like, this is the one, you know, just like in my head, a hundred percent, like that's the moment at least I've been waiting for. Um, I guess I just saw it for what it was and I, I needed to be involved from the start. That's, that's awesome. So uh, we're coming up on an hour and I'd just like to, you know, thank you obviously for, for doing this. If people want to know, we'll put links up on the, on the page for, uh, for all of your thing, uh, all of your stuff, but you know, where's, where's the best place for people to follow you? I'm assuming Twitter is definitely one of them, right? Yeah. Probably Twitter, Instagram, um, and, uh, huxleysaga.com for any updates on the project. And, um, yeah, just to re really appreciate you having me on and, um, uh, excited to see where, where all this goes in the coming years. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we'll have you back when, when, when we know more about the, about the movie coming out for sure. sure. That'd be great. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot.